Wow. Holy. What? <laughs> no. Instantly. Instant. No. Episode 30? Down. Episode 30. The big three zero. Hey, we, we did it. <laughs> you ever think about how in two years you'll be 30? Kyle said all the time. <laughs> Just chatting. Okay. I'm ready. We're I'm ready. ready. I'm ready. I'm ready for someone to love me. All fucked up. All right, I'm going to start soon. Top bins, top tier commentary. Top drawer, upper 90. You already down. know. <laughs> you already know. I think that's we, how it always goes. Like, like 45 minutes, and we're at like Chelsea. <laughs> what are we doing? <laughs> Um, I'm Dominic Ponteri. I'm Matt And we are here to talk about Champions League soccer today. Hey, it's Top Ben's time. What's up? We're back. Welcome back to Top Bins and Buon Natale. This time, the real version, because uh, <laughs> I hope you had a fantastic holiday break. I hope you had a fantastic Christmas Eve, Christmas, Kwanzaa, if you're into that. I hope that uh, Hanukkah was very kind to you earlier in the month. Whatever it is, uh, I think we have a lot to celebrate this this year and uh, this month as always. But one Did you we'll know? Tell me. <laughs> that... Um... The Nordic countries, like Sweden, Norway, Finland, they celebrate Christmas on the 24th. Do they really? Yeah. Is there any particular okay. reason for that? Or? I did not ask, um, okay. well, but I did. I did. Uh, I had one of my one of my uh, followers in my stream, my boy Emil. He came in. He was like, "Yo, Merry Christmas!" While I was playing, he was like, "In Sweden, we celebrate on the 24th." And then I asked another viewer who's from Norway, and I was like, "Hey." Do you celebrate on? Do you celebrate today or do you celebrate tomorrow? Like the people in the U.S. and he's like, we celebrate today. So I, I'm kind of assuming it's all like the Nordic countries. They really well. I, I'm learning so much. Thanks so much, Dom, for injecting some. You know, if you didn't, if you don't like the soccer talk, at least you can walk away from this thing. I learned something. Hey. hey. I learned that the Scandinavian countries <laughs> like to celebrate Christmas on the 24th rather than the 25th for whatever reason. A little bit of knowledge, a little trivia for you. Man. A little trivia for me. Maybe it'll save your life one day. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> what I always look forward to is is Boxing Day. 
I'm a big fan of especially having the day off after the holiday uh, because, one, you can get a little toasty the night of and don't have to worry about waking up for work the next day. Hey, hey. Uh, and two, <laughs> especially, especially for, uh, for, for Christmas, Boxing Day always has about, I don't know, 11 hours of soccer on, which is fantastic. We didn't quite get the full Boxing Day experience because there were, unfortunately, more COVID postponements uh, this past Sunday. Uh, Liverpool and Leeds and Wolves and Watford Wall called off pretty early in, in the week, actually, with a, a few days to spare. Uh, in Burnley, Everton, there was an initial inquiry to have it postponed that got denied. And then the second one, apparently, if there, I, I believe there's more cases in the Everton uh, club that made it that way. Burnley have not played in the Premier League for a while now. I think the, the, they'd like to get on with, with playing, I would say. Um, so it wasn't the normal full slate. We didn't we didn't get to wake up at least here on the east coast at 7 30 to to soccer we had to wait till 10 a.m which is such a bummer of course but it was still fantastic the games we did get i think offered a lot in terms of entertainment and in terms of goals we are going to go to the, the the game with the most goals on the day manchester city six leicester city three um this was uh it felt like absolutely dead 30 minutes in when city are four nil up and you're just thinking about is this going to be one of those moments where they get to seven, eight, nine goals? Um, I was just listening to a podcast recently about how next year there's going to be some of the sports books are going to be <laughs> having odds on a team to score 10 plus goals in a Premier League game, which has obviously never happened. And I was thinking, wow, are they, is City going to hit them for 10 today? Uh, Leicester obviously coming into this game with lots of injury issues, some COVID issues as well. That's obviously been the story for them for, for large parts of this season, but um they got flayed by City, and oh, yeah. it, it turns into a real open game, though, obviously, in the second half, where Leicester are able to counter a lot more, and I think one of the things that's that's important here, too, is, is Rodri is out for City uh, in this game because of COVID, Kyle Walker as well, and I, I think that really led to a uh, really unsettled midfield, and I think that's why you see so much more openness in the second half. Um, I think that there's, there's some better adjustments, too, from Leicester as well. I, I think Brendan Rodgers, I like the guy. I have fond memories of Brendan Rodgers, but I do think he is sometimes very limited in his like scope of view. And I think he's also a big ego guy and refuses to admit that like, hey, maybe I should change at halftime or, or maybe I should progress the game. He actually did this time though. He did he did change things up uh, and they're able to get three goals back. It seemed for a, a fleeting moment as though Leicester might make a, a full comeback on this and when it was at 4-3, but City just truly put the jaws of death down upon them and Dom what did you think of this game uh it's entertaining it's extremely entertaining um credit to to Leicester City for 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 making it a game and trying to make that comeback you know Brennan like you said Brennan Rogers making those adjustments at halftime uh rearing on Castagne instead of uh and taking off Perez uh I guess that brought in a little more uh a little more solidity into the team, you know, uh, it, it also allows, you know, all Brighton to move forward. You can play Castagne as that, uh, right back. I mean, he played as a wing back when he was at Atalanta. So, uh, he's kind of like your little Swiss army knife kind of player. Um, yeah. And that second, in that second half, they came alive. James Madison started playing a lot better than he did in the first half. He did have a few chances in that first half, but he didn't seem to strike the ball like, cleanly things like that um i don't know man i just like watching city play 
you know, I think that's credit to Pep. I, I, you know, we've talked about this before, you know, growing up and watching Pep coach probably the greatest team to really ever play club football, uh, you know, and, and he's basically always doing the same things year in and year out now at City. I mean, the way the way the city play, I mean, De Bruyne within five minutes gets a goal. You know, it's, it's bad it's, defending from Leicester, <laughs> which we've seen so much this season. They just yeah. give him way too much space, way too much time. Yeah, and I mean, yeah. he's he's obviously, you know, struggled with injury and, and things like that over the past, uh, I'd say, like eight or ten months. Um, he, this it, is like where we've started to see him kind of pick up his form again. And, and you can see how he thinks about the game, too, because like he gets that ball – and and you you'd like to think that Kevin De Bruyne is a pass first type of player, and they have that overlapping run happening. I don't know who's making that run from the midfield. Maybe it's Gundogan, I think. But you know he kind of like pauses and hesitates, and that freezes his defender and the defender tracking the run because they think he's going to lay it off, and he just cuts inside instead, and then takes it full on with his left foot and and, and slots it home, and and those types of things that that separates you know those elite guys from from good players because most players when they're in that situation they're going to touch it inside right away and and the defense is going to collapse and they may not get a clean shot off that hesitation crazy yeah he's I, he's got great awareness on the ball yeah. for sure he's definitely one of the best midfielders of, of the premier league of the last 5 or 6 years i mean he's he's it's at the point now where you know the there's going to be like a decade of De Bruyne, you know, that we yeah. just, we watched just a fantastic player. Uh, this is the debate for another time, but I, I know a lot of times too, he gets talked about in, you know, when you talk about like the best Premier League midfielders ever, and people talk about, obviously about <clears throat> Lampard and, and Gerard and, and I don't think yeah. Skulls personally de- deserves to be in this conversation, but people do put him there. But De Bruyne is definitely working his case if he isn't already to, to be mentioned uh, oh, yeah. with, with those two oh, yeah. and, and how fantastic he's been. Um, and obviously, too, when you consider the, the amount of titles he's going to win, City looks set to win the title this year. Honestly, I, I think it's going to be very hard for anyone to catch up to them. Um, I will say this, though. The City, and they're obviously a very deep team. We know that they can rotate very well. And we know that they can withstand injuries and COVID issues a lot better than other teams. However, when we see them without Rodri like this, and I wanted to go in and look, because I know that whenever Fernandinho has played this year, City have typically had poor results. And this is a theme with City for the last few seasons. I can remember uh, Gundogan at a point was actually a big scapegoat for a lot of people and that it seemed like anytime he was starting or uh, influential in the midfield that City typically were having a, a bad result, you know, either drawing or losing. This is obviously in the season where a lot of things are going wrong for them. But um, in games Fernandinho has started this year across all competitions, they are 2-2-3. Two, two, and three. That's pretty marked difference from uh, from where they are in, in lots of other places. Part of that was because Rodri um, was late to come back fully at the start of the season because uh, he had a, a pretty long Euros campaign with Spain. Um but Fernandinho, like, I, I think it was an issue in this game, especially when you talk about James Madison having a lot more space, especially in the second half. Uh, he just does not cover the ground the way that he yeah. used to. Uh, he's not as athletically able to, to just make up the space like he was. And I think the big thing Rodri has done this year that's been so much better in his game is he's understanding positioning a lot more. And uh, Pep has talked at length about how crucial that, that defensive midfield position is in his system and that it's constant learning and you have to constantly understand your position in the game and that you can't 
you're not really meant to be making tons of tackles, right? But you have to understand where the danger is coming from constantly. You also have to be willing to make like progressive passes. Like it's a very, very challenging, challenging job that Fernandinho does not do, uh, like at that level. And that's why they played him at center back for a while. Right. And part of that was out of necessity too, with some injuries and suspensions and things like that. So I just think that, you know, as, as good and as deep as they are, they are still fragile in a sense and that, yeah, you know, any of the front three can get cycled out and you're probably still going to have uh, good performances from anyone there, right? They're, they're one of the few teams that could bench Jack Realish and Phil Foden because of uh, disruptive issues outside of the game, going out to nightclubs and things like that, and still be just fine. But, you know, if you don't have Rodri, I think no Kyle Walker in this game also hurt them. Uh, they, they're a team that you can, you know, potentially potentially right i mean it's gonna be very hard to beat city in any in any way really but they are a team i think that still has some fragility to them they're not like as invincible as maybe we've been led to believe but they are i mean let's be real they're also yeah. still very 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 good and shout out to uh kalechi Iheanacho too um playing against his former club bagging two assists and a goal himself uh that second assist to lookman was crazy I will needle. never forgive Kalechi Nacho because he had a chance to <laughs> score against Manchester City in the 18-19 season, and absolutely, he he, it could have been different. Things could have been so different for me. Yuri <laughs> uh, Telemans, who has obviously been very good in the midfield for Leicester so much this season, uh, gave away two penalties in this game. Not ideal uh, for Yuri. I think we just say you'll get him next time. I, I thought this was interesting. There was eight different goal scorers in this game. I... I didn't have the chance to really look up, like, historically how often that's happened. Uh, I have to imagine that that is incredibly rare because it's already rare enough. You get eight goals in a game, let alone by eight different players. Um, I think that kind of just sums up what the day was like. It was it was frenetic and exciting, um, and it was funny because it didn't seem like it was going to be that way uh, going into halftime. But let's talk about uh, another another game that was certainly dead and, and had no no signs of life from one team for sure Norwich nil Arsenal five this is yet another uh, uh, another marching song for Arsenal into the top four right because obviously they, they've had a, a really good turnaround from the first few games of the season they've continued on some good form uh, yeah I, I, this is their fifth straight win in all competitions fourth straight in the league. They're doing it at a time of the year where you want to be stringing together wins, obviously, which is every part of the year, of course. But December is where you can make up a lot of ground because there are so many games. And obviously now, too, with some of these COVID pauses and, and they have a, a game postponed uh, tomorrow. But, you know, they, you have the chance. I've always said that you take the points rather than the game in hand. And they have lots of obviously their position is perhaps a little false because so many teams around them still have, you know, Spurs have what three games still to play. There's a few teams with one or two behind, but Arsenal have been really good. I think they deserve credit for that. Um, I, it's hard to give them too much credit because when you consider that they played Norwich who look lifeless, uh, Dean Smith said too many unforced errors. Uh, you think Dean, I think, I think that's fair to say, uh, he was really critical of Norwich and, and, uh, he said he was bewildered because they had trained so well and they came out and just looked absolutely flat and did not look like they, they were giving the effort that uh, that they should. And I, I think that's very true. And we've seen that a lot in Norwich so far this season. They just, they look dead in the water, to be frank. I, I, and I'm not sure that Dean Smith is the person that's that's going to save them uh, from themselves right now. But for Arsenal, who's going to save them? I don't know either. Obviously, you come into January and listen, Norwich's entire club 
structure is about just like getting into Premier League when you go down the championship, being able to get yourself promoted within a year or two, you know, you continue that cycle of like good money, right? And uh, the the parachute payments. And they made some interesting signings coming into this season and they haven't quite paid off yet. Like Rashidza was someone that, you know, coming from Warder Bremen, I think a lot of people were excited to see. I can remember um, even some, some top six clubs being linked to him and has not, hit it off very well at all i think they're yeah. still entirely too dependent on team Puki. like if he's not scoring norwich aren't he, he is just so much the focal point of the attack so i'm curious to see in january coming up now if, if they make any kind of move obviously you have to make some decisions on about is this player going to be helping us this year or is this a longer term you know player that can that can help us throughout the seasons uh to come i i, I just worry about them but focusing on arsenal Martin Odegaard, I think, has been really, really good, especially in the last uh, few weeks. He's got three goals, three assists in his last uh, six Premier League games. He was, I think, the the man of the match uh, against Norwich just so often, just the, the focal point. And really, I think Arsenal, you know, some of it has gotten memed a little bit, but you know, like the process, right? Uh, which is funny to us, of course, being Sixers fans. But they they do have a young core that I think they can grow and contend with. Yes, Part of the issue is you have to keep that core together. That's big. And you have to make smart decisions surrounding them. You can't just have, like right now you have Saka, Odegaard, Martinelli, and Emil Smith-Rowe, who I think are all young players that you can expect will will continue to grow and develop. And already, I think every single one of them has taken a significant leap forward this year, some more than others, of course. But I think overall, you'd expect that those are those are players you can have as the core of your future, especially Odegaard, Saka, and Amos with Rowe. I think those, those are your three really key players moving forward. You have to be able to build around them. Kieran Tierney's a good player, but he's like not quite on the same age range as they are. He's a few years older. I worry about like, they ha- they're obviously... So much of the talk about Arsenal is that they need a striker. Uh, you have an Aubameyang situation in which he's still out in the cold for whatever reason. And Lacazette is out of contract this uh, this summer. And I don't know that he's necessarily your answer going forward. Sometimes we all just need to wind down after a long day of enjoying our favorite sports team's Go to work, and with the rise of streaming platforms, new TV shows and movies are popping up every single week, and it might be overwhelming not knowing exactly what to watch. Well, that's where streamer season comes in. The exclusive streaming platform discussion podcast for TV and movies on the Underground Sports Philadelphia Podcast Network. Join me, KB, and a plethora of our hosts right here at USP breaking down all the new TV and movies that you guys should be watching across all the various streaming platforms that are available to the masses. Catch us on streamer season wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, you signed Ben White this summer. It's been pretty good for you. I, I think that's it's fair to say that he's he's turned it around after his very disastrous first game against Bradford, but and you have Ramsdale, I think is okay. I, I think he's overrated because he makes these like flashy saves. Um, I've never personally been con- super convinced of Ramsdale, but I think he's he's fine for now. I don't think that he that's a position you need to upgrade. But there are a lot of positions still, I think, for Arsenal that need to be solved. And it doesn't have to happen now. And I don't want to make this about like if they don't do these things this January, it's not good enough. But 
you have to start making the smart decisions because transfer-wise, they have not been making as many smart decisions as you'd like them to. Um, and I, I, I just wonder if that's that's where this, this falls apart for Arsenal uh, going forward. Uh, a couple other of the younger players that you didn't quite mention, but that also may be because, you know, they don't quite stand out as much. Uh, the biggest standout is uh, Ramsdale, who's the same age. I said Ramsdale. Years. Oh, you did? Yeah. I, I said I wasn't convinced, though. <laughs> okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Tomiyasu is also 23, uh, who they signed didn't play, wasn't on the team sheet this week. Because um, I was I was quite surprised to see Ben White playing right back, where that's normally where you see Tomiyasu Ben White play. has, has played in a lot of different positions in his career. Like, he's played in the midfield before. Like, he's played right back before. So he's, like, a mm-hmm. sneaky someone that has actually been able to be, like, pretty versatile. Yeah, and and he's also part of that next age range, right? Like Tierney's twenty four, he's twenty four, uh, Gabriel's twenty four, uh, but then once once you get away from that, everybody else is a little, you know, getting up in age and and things like that. I mean, you've got Eddie Niketia who didn't play this week, and and I don't on, think that's honestly concerning. I don't think Niketia has. Arch has really a, f- a future at Arsenal. I know that he obviously performed really, really well in the League Cup last week, and that's been his competition. But I just think it, the fact that they are in such need of a, of a goal scorer and that he hasn't gotten his opportunity yeah. tells yeah, me exactly. that Arteta is not fully convinced that he's the option long term. Uh, he could be someone that goes out on loan and or, or maybe is sold somewhere uh, and perhaps returns like a sell-on clause or a buyback clause, something like that. Um, I don't think that he's the answer, though. I, yeah, I think you're right to point out there's young players. I, for me, the only players that I think could be truly the best in their position in the league are Saka, Odegaard, and Amos Smith-Rowe. I don't think any of those other young players have... Those three, to me, have like true like top, top-level player ceiling. I don't know that anyone else you listed really does that. I think they those are all good, and you don't need every position to be the yeah. absolute best. You don't need all... 10 out of 10 players uh, it's fine if your squad has some 7 out of 10 players maybe even a 6 out of 10 player like you can get by with that and you can win trophies with that in fact this Arsenal team already has but I just think uh, I, I think they have some some really really good young pieces that I'm, I'm excited to see how they move forward but this is where it gets tough this is where yeah. you have to make really difficult uh, calculated decisions and this is where you have to make the smart decisions to make sure that you don't just waste <laughs> waste that young talent that you have at your disposal. So yeah, Odegaard's Odegaard's finally starting to you know show those glimpses of what was touting him as one of the next best things when he was you know seventeen. 18 I mean, this years is old, even like getting, getting back to how Real he was Madrid. at Real Sociedad yeah. when he had you know yeah. a, a player oh, of the yeah. season type of, of year yeah. and you know, obviously goes back to Madrid that next year and doesn't really get the playing time he's looking for. And, and that's what leads it to Arsenal. But I mean, we've seen from Odegaard at a young age already that he can take over a team and propel them to to new positions, to new heights. And mm-hmm. this this could be one of those cases, of course. I really like Odegaard. It's, he's, he's a fantastic player. And it's funny because you're right. He was like such a, a, a touted like 17-year-old. And it's just very rare for those players to actually develop to be like... Just even hey, being a starter in a top league is a very, very hard road to get let, to. Let's let's put it this way: it was him and Halilovic at the time who were who were being touted. And how did Halilovic's career turn out? Uh, not so, quite the same. So I'll you say could that. say that Odegaard is a major success compared to that. Uh, but this this kid Bukayo Saka is 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 something else as well, man. Uh, 
you can see the confidence he has, um, the way he scored these two goals. Like he knows he's playing Norwich and it's Norwich, you know, like th this kid's coming off, you know, a, uh, uh, a tragic way to end his summer with the euros. Um, but it, it's a learning curve for him and a learning experience that that'll probably propel him to, to become a better player. And, and you're kind of seeing it, you know what I mean? He, he's scoring goals and he's playing well. And like you said, he, he's one of those guys that you could see being the best in his position in a few years. Yeah, definitely. I, I think Saka is, is a fantastic player and he's, he's had a, a really, really strong season and obviously coming off that Euros, it, you know, it, it is, it is a good sign. I think of his mentality that he's obviously played as well as he has. Uh, let's move on. Shall we? Aston Villa one, Chelsea three. Aston Villa did not have, uh, Gerard at the bench for this one due to a positive COVID test, uh, which was a, a theme all throughout the, the day on Boxing Day. Uh, but Villa, they made it very difficult and challenging for Chelsea. Uh, I had written down that they just continue to be a thorn in, in top team sides because anytime we've seen them, especially under, under Gerard against Liverpool, against City, he's made it challenging for those teams. They, they have not had an easy day. Chelsea did not have an easy day. And for Chelsea, I think this is... Obviously, a really important win because they had they'd slid a little bit in the last few weeks, and part of that was injury related and COVID related. Uh, Tuchel has been one of the the more vocal uh, managers about getting the the five substitutions back, or about uh, potentially taking a break. Or you know, Chelsea have tried to get some of their games postponed because of their injuries and absences. So they're starting to get some of that squad back together. Although Ingola Conte did go off with injury in this game. Uh, and that was ironically one of the big worries uh, about Chelsea was that they had to rush players like Conte back from injury and that realistically he should only have been playing, you know, maybe 40, 45 minutes and had to play a full game. And then in this game now comes off with an injury and Conte has quietly been very injured over the last year and a half. I don't know that people have quite taken notice of that yet, but he's a guy that it's like, just, I don't want to like make big sweeping uh you know declarations here and say that his body's breaking down but when you consider just the amount of time that he's played over the last few seasons and how much of his role is about running and closing down space uh when you build up muscle injuries like this it, it is a worry about how you come back he's he looked good in the games that he did play but I do worry about his like future if he continues to have these issues and it's unfortunate in this scenario because he gets rushed back and that's how he picks up this new injury. But uh, Chelsea, big three points. Yeah. Uh, Jorginho, two penalties. My guy. <laughs> um, I think no, that's what I, the penalty spot every, see, says every time they, yeah. they see <laughs> My guy, what's up? <laughs> We all know the traditional Big Four sports and we have our favorite teams and enjoy them each and every week during their seasons. But what if I told you the fastest growing sport on two feet doesn't involve football, baseball, basketball, or hockey? Come join me, Dom Ponteri, and Harrison Kremens as we break down the sport of the future each and every week on the Outside the Box podcast, talking all things pro and college lacrosse right here on the Underground Sports Philadelphia Podcast Network. I'm actually surprised um, Conta didn't get sent off with a red for that that 
uh, challenge at the end of the game. Well, they don't do the, the double jeopardy rule anymore because he actually made an attempt to play the ball. Uh, it's not considered like he does deny him the clear, yeah. but that's, that's, a, that used to be the rule, right? In that situation, you get a red card, but that's, you're really getting double jeopardy there because not only are you giving them a penalty, now you're a man down it and it's just, that's up, such yeah. a harsh, that's like, you know, he's actually trying to attempt to play the ball there. I, I like that rule change. Yeah. It doesn't really matter in that situation because game's over at that point, but. And Lukaku getting back on the score sheet as well. Doesn't start the game, but comes on almost immediately in the second half gets a goal within 10 minutes of coming on. So that's, that's nice to see as well. Um, yeah, no Chelsea, you know, Kovacic, Kovacic came off the bench. You know, he's going to be seeing more and more time as he comes back from injury as well. But as soon as he comes back, like you said, Conte comes off. There's, there's a little bit of an injury issue with Chelsea right now. Uh, hopefully, Hopefully they can they can figure that out so they can you know continue to put pressure on on the top two. Uh, they're tied on points with Liverpool, but like you said, Man City looks poised to to run away with this thing. So really, it's it's just you know can Chelsea stay alive for for a Champions League spot? Then if City truly are going to run away with this, and if Chelsea decide to you know. Or, or sorry, not decide, but if Chelsea are handed this injury crisis, staying top four for a while in this league when Arsenal's on this surge, you know, six points behind, they they could fall out of Champions League contention. I would be personally shocked if Chelsea dropped out of Champions League spots, and uh, they are level with Liverpool right now. Liverpool do have a game in hand, of course. Considering because... Tottenham are on twenty nine points, yeah. Well, Tottenham also have three games in hand. Uh, they obviously have had a lot of a lot of this is not going to be settled for a while. We're going to be saying X and Y team have two games in hand until April, probably. Yeah. Uh, that's that's going to be part of the issue as well. I, I wanted to touch on Jorginho. He had uh, his nine penalties uh, so far this season, and he is Chelsea's top scorer. Uh, <laughs> so maybe that third place Ballon d'Or uh, <laughs> placement wasn't too bad. I did like this. Emmy Martinez gets a, a yellow card for. For trying to give Jorginho a little bit the old stink. Uh, Martinez has a habit of that. He's like a very vocal goalkeeper. <laughs> he's, uh, he's so entertaining. He's a little bit of a psycho, which which I think you like. So yeah, for me, uh, Chelsea get the Manchester United award for winning penalties and winning games somehow because of them. Uh, this was obviously United's bag for quite a while, especially under Ole, and that they just ended up winning tons and tons of penalties for whatever reason. Um and I think that was that was the big difference. The big difference, like you mentioned already, is Romelu Lukaku coming back in this game and uh, looking a lot more like his old self. Uh, gets a really nice, you know, headed goal. It was his first goal in the league since uh, I'm not going to laugh at this since 9/11. Uh, and he also had that fantastic run at, at the end of the game, which of course seals it when he wins the penalty and, and Georgina dispatches it. But I just think he he looks really good, and I think if Chelsea are gonna you know, really challenge for the title again, and and they're still not that far off the path. It's it's not inconceivable that Chelsea could make up the ground that's that's in front of them. It's obviously going to be challenging to do that, but uh, Lukaku being a fantastic goal scorer like we saw last year with Inter, it has to be a part of that. And if they're going to win anything, if it's the League Cup, FA Cup, Champions League, whatever, that is going to have to be what you have because I just I can't see how Jorginho being your top scorer again is like a realistic thing for Chelsea this year right like it I just don't see them winning games if that's if that's the offensive output that they're, that they're gonna have is is just hoping for penalties or or hoping for 
I, you know, just these these little things to go right. I, I I really think if Lukaku is back to his best, Chelsea can you know potentially challenge for the title, of course, and and can maybe win the Champions League again. Like they they have that ability uh, yeah. and that ceiling with him at his best. They they spent that money on Lukaku for a reason, and it's to score goals. So, you know, like you said, once he's back and and, and starting games again and, and and playing seventy minutes, you're expecting to see him on the score sheet, and and. If he is, it's money well spent, and Chelsea are going to see the successes that come with that. Definitely. Um, so let's move on to to another part of London here. Spurs 3, Crystal Palace 0. Uh, this game was supposed to be called off uh, Saturday night. This was like a, a, a late tweet about how uh, this game was, was very likely to not be occurring because of COVID issues throughout Crystal Palace's team. Patrick Vieira, not on the sidelines. Stop me if you've heard this one already uh, due to a, a positive COVID result. We didn't really even know until uh, the, the lineups were announced what Crystal Palace players were, were going to be out, and it was quite a few of, of their first-team players uh, were not playing due to COVID. Uh, so I had this down as the game that almost wasn't. Um, Zaha, you got to love him, right, of course, because he, he can be such an electric player, and, and he's one of these guys that you love just seeing the ball at his feet. But... He ensured that this game was absolutely dead by 40 minutes. Uh, already down two goals, and just uh, it's just a brainless moment, frankly, where he he shoves Davinson Sanchez and gets his second yellow, and gets sent off. After that point, this game is is effectively over. Uh, Spurs just see the rest of it out. The reason I really wanted to talk about this is because we're seeing obviously Spurs turn things around now under Antonio Conte. They haven't lost in the league since he's taken over, and you've seen the results. The results more than anything, like the actual like way that they're playing, the the process of it all, and and the performances. That's been like a huge, huge difference in in how they've they've obviously turned this around. They went from one of the the least distance covered teams to the most in the league now, uh, which is exactly kind of what you would expect from an Antonio Conte led team. And you can just see that the way they build out of the uh, out of the back now, uh, the way that they defend compactly, and they're using Kane and Son, and and especially Lucas Moura we saw in this game, and their ability to interplay and and use a lot of speed as well between Son and Lucas. Uh, to, to create a lot of trouble in the break. They did the same thing to Liverpool last week, where it was, it was very hard to, to defend against. And um, I really think you've seen a big, big turnaround for Spurs. Yeah, I think that Conte system fits uh, the fullbacks that they have with Regulon, uh, or Regulon and uh, Emerson. Uh, I think they both like to get up and down. They like to get involved offensively um, and send crosses in. And you can see the, the, the fruits of that success. Um because you know you got that you got a guy like Harry Kane in the box you you can send a cross in he's going to get up and apparently if you do it for Lucas Mora too he's going to get up and just fling his body at it yeah um, Lucas Mora <laughs> climbing the invisible ladder for that goal uh it was very impressive very impressive vertical that he got on that one i have to say yeah and, and he's getting uh i this this conti system this they played like they lined up like a 3421 uh that that moves Lucas a little more in, right? And in, in these other systems, he was playing way more wide. Um, moving him a little more centrally, I think, benefits for them because now he he can get creative in front of the box, which you know he's a goal scoring threat. But then he does have the speed and and the creativity on the outside as well to to link up, do those one two passes with the uh, with the fullback, and and really give some new type of uh, looks that you didn't see 
pre-Antonio Conte when when Spurs were playing. Yeah, I, I just think it's been it's been a big turnaround, and I think just shows how important having a good manager with a good yep. system is. Um, I'm frankly pissed because uh, I loved <laughs> Antonio Conte. I was happy for him to stay in Italy. I I think maybe you weren't as happy. I think you're you're maybe pretty thrilled. Well, maybe not. No I mean, I mean, considering first. Inter is still in first place this season, kind of with a nice lead. I mean, if if Conte was there, maybe it was a bigger lead. I don't know, but you know, uh, I am. You know, I'm happy to see him in England. You know, kind of flourishing as a closet Arsenal supporter. No, I'm not happy to see him at Tottenham, but. Uh, you know, credit to them for being able to bring him in because I thought the Manchester United move was all but signed. You know what I mean? Uh, apparently he felt so too. I know that there was a lot of talk about how he thought that he was going to be end up in Manchester. You mentioned it, Dom. So let me ask you this. Who finishes higher in the table this season? Seenan. Seenan. Who finishes higher this season? This Seenan we'll talk about next week. Spurs or Arsenal? Who finishes Arsenal. higher? Ar- you're very quick with that answer. Is that uh, out of some weird allegiance, or is that a, a genuine a little bit of both analytical um, take? A little bit of both. Um, I wouldn't use analytical because I'm, I'm 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 not I don't have stats up in front of me and whatnot. But to get the whole podcast hosted by Stephen McAvoy and John Mavalia, be sure to follow us on Twitter at get in the whole pod and be on the lookout for a ton of great content, keeping you up to date on the world of golf, releasing weekly, a part of the underground sports, Philadelphia family of podcasts, wherever you listen to your favorite shows. You know, uh, Arsenal has a six point lead on Spurs right now. Obviously Spurs has three games in hand though. So, you know, we're going to be dealing with that for a little bit. Um, if Arsenal can kind of figure out this this striker issue in the January transfer window, if maybe they can get themselves another holding midfielder, um, maybe a fullback, uh, if they can get at least two of those three, uh, I think that they're poised to to you know look very strong this year and and potentially you know be end up top three. They can they can definitely compete. With, with Chelsea moving forward, um, Spurs, it's Spurs. I mean, <laughs> they they are perennially known for for bottling in some type of way, uh, for the most part. So, you know, the fact that they're in a Europa League spot right now, good for them. Uh, West Ham, Man United are both. Uh, one point underneath them. Wolves are are just outside a game, you know, from from catching up to them. So, uh, you know, there's other teams that are that are in that same breath as as Tottenham that can that can send them down the table soon if if they hit a hit a little spurt of bad form. I disagree. I I actually like that we're on opposite sides of this because we can revisit this at the end of the year. Yeah, that's Who was okay. right? I am picking Spurs to finish better. I think that Conte's system is much more akin to short-term success than Arteta, right? I think Arteta, maybe, you know, in the next two, three years, Arsenal are in a better position. Who knows, right? Because Conte, anything could happen with that man. 
I think that Conte has what it takes to get them into that top four places. Listen, they have three games in hand right now. And I know that I just said I'd rather have the points than the games in hand. But if they just two wins and a draw, and they're they're right there with uh, with Arsenal again. Like, they're, they're, they would in fact yeah. be above Arsenal with, with that record, which I think is feasible for them. I don't think that's unrealistic. Arsenal, by the way, have to play Manchester City this weekend. So we're really going to see how good they are against like actual competition here because frankly they have had a, a lighter schedule over the last few weeks uh here the, the outside of west ham they beat leeds who were absolutely diminished and yeah. demolished due to injury sunderland in the league cup well done they beat norwich who we've talked about who are dead in the water and they beat southampton 3-0 but you know the week before that they they lost that game against everton late uh they lost to manchester united like this is not a team that Anytime they've come up against like the big opponents, uh, they got. I can remember when they came back from break and got just washed over by Liverpool for nothing. I just think that yes, Arsenal have improved in a lot of areas. This is not a. This is, I'm not saying this is an anti-Arsenal take. I just think Spurs, for me, especially when you consider that, if you're talking just in terms of squad composition and talent, Harry Kane and Son are just tiers above anyone that Arsenal has. And I that think if you're, if you're talking about a you know a race to see who finishes higher in the table, that has to count for something. I don't think there's a, a single attacking player on Arsenal that comes close to either of those two, uh, oh. to be to be very, very frank. Um, I think Arsenal maybe are better in some areas, but I just I think the manager is better and I think the, the like the ceiling level talent is probably better with Spurs and that's why I would be personally picking them. But I like that we're on opposite sides here because that makes it more fun. Yep. I'll tell you what'll happen when uh, Arsenal play City. City's gonna win like four nothing. Like maybe Arsenal get a goal, but it's it's gonna be not a good game to watch if you're an Arsenal fan. That's a that's a nice that's a nice bet you just gave away, Don. Now that people can go and and uh, (laughs) and throw some money down. Yeah, the last time these these two played, it was five nothing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Shan't shan't forget that, shall we? Dom, Italy, Italy wrapped up uh, the first half of their season last week. Um, some big games, obviously. And I just wanted to take a look at the table here and just and see how we feel right because Inter go into the winter break top with 46 points, uh, followed by Milan with 42, Napoli with 39, and Atalanta with 38. It was disappointing a little bit from Napoli and Atalanta in terms of uh, results. Not what we were hoping for as a neutral, at least. Not what I was hoping for. I, I wanted to see the both of them uh, pick up some wins. Uh, Atalanta drawing against Genoa. Uh, poor Shevchenko just can't find the goals for whatever reason. Uh, it's like him in his Chelsea colors. Uh, Spezia Sorry. beat Napoli pretty shockingly, one nothing. Uh, to be frank, uh, Milan beat Empoli four two. Roma drew with Sampdoria. Uh, you had a fantastic one one draw, Hellas Verona and Fiorentina, um, and Juventus two nothing over Cagliari. Uh, Dom, we're in a weird position with Syria, right? Because it does feel like at the same time that there's a lot of parity. It also does feel, at, at least from my perspective, that Inter. Once we come back in January, are very much the favorites, uh, you know, for for the title, and it's hard to see it any other way. Yeah, I mean, first off, let me just start out by saying, beating Spezia this season is not for everybody. Okay, I will say that. Um, but I mean, yeah, I, with with the way that Inter's playing this year, I I need them to to 
you know, get halted or, or somebody needs to cause a speed bump with what they're doing because the way the way that, that Inzaghi has them playing, nobody's going to stop these guys for a while. They have one loss on the season still. Uh, the next lowest is three, and Milan and Atalanta both have that. Um, so 14 wins, four draws, one loss in the league with 49 goals scored, and that's the most scored in the league by a big margin. Uh, Milan second with forty. Um, Napoli, uh, they've kind of they've kind of fallen off. They've had three losses in their last five: one win, one draw. Um, not the not the best. Uh, looking forward in their matches, they've got Juventus, uh, they've got Fiorentina in the Coppa Italia, uh, and then they have a couple lower tier teams. They've got Sampdoria, which always which isn't an easy game, uh, but they do have Bologna and Salernitana and Venezia. And then they have Inter uh, the day before Valentine's Day. Um, Atalanta, uh, hopefully they can get it turned around. They've got Torino, Udinese, Venezia, and the Copa. But then they have, you know, a couple tough ones against Inter and Lazio, uh, Juventus. You know, uh, Milan have uh, Empoli, or sorry, no, uh, Roma, Venezia, Genoa, and the Copa, Spezia, Juventus, and Inter. Um so, you know, there, there's some really good matches. It looks like Milan and it looks like uh, Atalanta have some of the tougher schedules of those four teams. Uh, it's a tight, it's a tight race. There's a, there's a lot of teams in, in between like fifth and ninth that are, that are very close in points. Uh, Juve could hit a nice run of form and start challenging for a Champions League spot, you know, after starting this season out very, very bad. And, and you know, I was gloating and basking in, in, in their, you know, demise, but, uh, I, I don't know. It, it, it's looking to be a real nice season. Milan are just four points away from Inter. So I'm, I'm hoping that, you know, there's a couple speed bumps with Inter. Uh, they, they, they've got some easier games though. They've got Bologna, they've got Lazio. They got to play a super Copa final though, against Juventus, which is an extra game. Which is always nice, but they've I got Lazio. Take the extra game because it means yeah. that they won something last year. So. Yeah, <laughs> shut up. Uh, they've got Lazio, Juve, Atalanta, and Milan, as well as Napoli, all in that same time frame up till February thirteenth. So, and then um, they have Liverpool in the Champions League. As yeah, well. so yeah. So that's it. Is it is challenging? It, I, it's I do think be very challenging for them. The schedule is going to be tough for everyone. If I'm being frank, uh, yeah, I think that the Milan derby is going to be. Not, not a title decider. It's too early to, to call it a title decider. But if, if Milan are going to obviously make a true challenge, they're going to have to win that game. It'll be one of the turning points. So Inter, I, you know, I've only lost to Lazio this season, which is hilarious because Lazio have just been so hot and cold. <laughs> um, Juventus, for me, I, I think our team that you highlighted, I really think can creep into that top four if we're not careful. Uh, they're very much like Real Madrid in, in that I think they're, they're an I-need-to-see-the-body team. I, I refuse to believe that they're actually dead until I see it. I need to see their organs harvested. I need to see them in a casket. I need Kinda to see like the Real dirt. Madrid, right? <laughs> yeah, that's. Did you not listen to me? That's what I just. Said. Oh my bad. I, didn't I like that Real you remembered. Part. That's what I say about Real Madrid, though. <laughs> I, I need. I need to see it. I need to see. I need to be at the wake. You know. Yeah. Um, just both of them have this like resiliency sometimes to just like find their way back into competitions that they shouldn't be. 
Um, so I, I am worried about Juventus in that regard and maybe what they do this January uh, in terms of, of pushing themselves forward. But it's going to be really exciting. We'll highlight a little bit more next week about Serie A's return because uh, they will be back not this weekend, but next weekend, which is exciting. Uh, it's it's nice now. You know, we only have the Premier League, but um, I, I do kind of, I did kind of miss, you know, my, my like 3 o'clock kickoff. You know, Syria or two forty-five. You know, like those two forty-five. I love, I love the Italian late kickoffs. I really do. Um, me and Don both hope that you had a fantastic holiday. We hope that you continue to have fantastic days. Uh, the New Year is coming. I, I hope. I'm not really personally a believer in resolutions, uh, like hardcore ones. Like I want to uh, lose three pounds this year. It's like just do it. You know, Re- resolve to just be a better person. I think is <laughs> is the thing we should all be doing. Um, so I hope that you enjoy your New Year's, Dama. I hope you enjoy your New Year's, of course. Uh, do you have anything you'd like to say before we we kick off here? Yeah, I'm, I'm going to be in the Poconos, so I, I should oh, I should I should enjoy that and be snowboarding a little. So hit the hitting the slopes. Um, yeah, thanks to everybody that supported us, you know, in the in the past year with with the with the relaunch of this. You know, we're we're what thirty we're thirty weeks strong on this now, so that's that's nice. We've been we've been grinding away with it. So thank you to everybody that supports us. Um, thank you to everybody that supports the stream um, over on Twitch, uh, and and thanks to everybody that you know has stuck with us since the beginning. You know, make sure that you rate us five stars on Apple Podcasts, wherever else you get your podcasts. Uh, share it with people who you may think, you know, would like to listen to this podcast and, and are fans of Serie A, fans of Premier League. Um, and, and we've got a lot of big things planned for the new year. Uh, a couple more guests. I have a couple more guests in mind. Um, so, uh, you know, it, it'll be fun. So, yeah, make sure you tune in. Well, Dom, I hope you enjoy snowboarding this weekend. I hope you have a fantastic time ripping it up out there. Uh, I will be cozy at home, hopefully. <laughs> uh, New Year's Eve used to be my favorite holiday as a kid, mainly because you got to stay up late and just eat a bunch of junk food. And now that I'm adult, I'm like, I am kind of firmly over New Year's Eve. I, I yeah. personally, I don't mind just, if it was up to me, I have other people in my life that make these choices for me now. But if it was up to me, I would just be in bed at 10 p.m. And that's I agree. That's, I like personally would like to start my new year refreshed with a good night's sleep. Uh, but I, I hope you all enjoy celebrating it however you would like to. I hope you enjoy the games this week and this weekend. Uh, maybe you wake up really hungover and watch some uh, terrible soccer uh, as you, you, <laughs> you suffer through some headaches on Saturday morning. But uh, until then, I, I hope you enjoy yourselves. I hope you have a safe one, and we will talk to you next time.